I firmly believe that deep down, we all know what it is that we need. I think we all have those tools. We just need someone to help us discover them. Like, what is it that you love that will help you express yourself? I always knew it was writing. It had gotten lost somehow. That was Amanda Sturmer, founder of World Muse, writer, activist, editor of Muse Magazine, and this is the Running On Ohm podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon. I'm excited to share with all of you about an October giveaway where you can win a Nutso swag bag. Well, what's even Nutso, you ask? It's the only seven nut and seed butter on the planet. So think about the best peanut butter you've ever had on steroids. It's that good. And Nutso's various flavors use combinations of 10 different organic nuts and seeds to make each jar an omega-3 powerhouse of nutrition. I've got to admit that my favorite flavor is the chocolate power fuel that has 70% organic Peruvian dark chocolate, chia seeds, and additions to almonds, cashews, hazelnuts, pumpkin seeds, Brazil nuts, and flax seeds. Yep, you heard it right. The chocolate power fuel is peanut free so that all of my peanut free friends out there can get a spoonful too. And it's that good that you're going to want to eat it by the spoonful. So how do you try Nutso and win a free swag bag of Nutso jars, a Nutso hat and shirt? Well, it's actually really simple. All you have to do is leave Running On Ohm a review on the iTunes store, send a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com or tweet it to at runningonohm. The giveaway ends October 31st and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by November 2nd. Now, on to our show. Hey everyone, if this is your first time tuning into Running On Ohm, welcome. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and if this is your 154th time, welcome back. Running on Ohm is more than just a podcast about running and yoga. It's conversations with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body connection through different mediums, from actors, meditators, musicians, authors, Olympic gold medalists, chefs to surfers. I believe that the stories of the people that I bring on for all of you every week can change your life. Over the past month, I've gotten back into the rhythm of publishing two Rue podcasts a week. Some of you may not realize, but after I record one interview, it takes up to 10 hours to prepare the podcast for your listening experience. I'm committed to giving you all the most professional, authentic, and incredible guests every week, twice a week actually, but I also need your help in spreading the word about running on Ohm. Tell a friend, share it on your social media, leave a review, anything you can do to help me grow this podcast together counts. Today's guest, Amanda Sturmer, blew me away with her story and insight. Amanda is the founder of World Muse, an organization that inspires women and girls to create the change they wish to see in the world. This conversation is not just for women, though. It's for everyone. Amanda discusses the epidemic in our world where we see ourselves as not enough. Not smart enough, not successful enough, not beautiful enough, and not strong enough. And Amanda offers insight on how she has personally overcome this not enough mentality and lives a life now where she empowers people to discover their inner muse and turn inspiration into activation. Amanda has so many roles in her life as a mother to three children, a writer, an activist, a teacher, the editor of Muse Magazine, and the founder of World Muse. She challenges you to step into your life and many identities with authenticity and power. Let's dig in together to today's conversation with Amanda Sturmer. I know, yeah. that was our like, um, our quote this morning. We're doing this program with Muse right now. It's 21 days of inner awesome. And I have to send out these emails every day and people are doing, you know, personal inquiry and nutritional guidelines and all this stuff. But today's was that Thurman quote, that Howard Thurman quote that, you know, I screenshotted it when I saw it on Instagram. But it is, it's what I always come back to so many times. Like I do this because it makes me come alive and it's, I, I get up in the morning and I'm 
even though sometimes I'm overwhelmed with all the things I have to do, I'm also so excited. And so blessed. Yes. And, oh my gosh, last year we had Merle Evers at the conference. Have you ever heard of Merle Evers? So I have. She's an amazing civil rights icon. And the first time I heard her speak, she told this story about how her grandmother every night would say, you know, Merle, make yourself, make your life a blessing make your life a blessing and that became sort of her personal mantra and I when I heard her say that it hit me and I started sharing that with my children in the mornings when I would take them to school I'd be like how are you going to make your life a blessing today and they look at me like I was crazy and they're like what what do you mean but it's like you know, it can be simple but think about it. you could just you could smile at someone who is having a down day and you've made your life a blessing that day but you know, if, if you even expand it and sort of, you know, ripple it outward, like how can your work be a blessing, you know, and then all that overwhelmed to-do list stuff doesn't feel quite so overwhelming. Exactly. You know, it's like... It feels in, in alignment and in service of yourself, yeah. of your community, of a higher power. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's a gift that it we is. both are able to inhabit this space mm-hmm. in our lives. I want to go back in time to your upbringing and your childhood and understand a little bit about where you come from and what kind of family you came from and what kind of women were your mentor mentors on your path because the work you do now is so involved with mentorship, leadership, mm-hmm. empowerment. So where did that begin for you? You know, it's interesting because I'm I'm constantly going back and sort of exploring like my own personal story and my own personal path and trying to see it through, you know, newer lenses, right? Like, because every time, you know, as we, as, we, as we get older and we grow, we have these experiences that allow us to look back with a little more clarity, a little more insight. And I grew up in a really small southern town in Louisiana. And I was very um, confident, very outspoken, very rebellious which as a young girl, I think was just, you know, people could kind of smile and laugh at it. But as I got older, it wasn't quite in keeping with, I think, the cultural values and expectations of, the, of that time and place. Um, and I was seen very much as sort of the rebel, you know, wild child. And I think that um, that really affected me. Like at first it made me want to speak out more and act out more. Um, but then it also, I think, slowly started to diminish my self-confidence and my self-esteem because I realized I really wasn't valued for my opinions and for having, you know, strength and leadership and all of these sort of things. Those weren't the qualities that were really valued in a woman where I grew up so much. Um, and I, it, it kind of eroded my sense of, of self. And in college, it, it really, I kind of crashed and burned. And I had a major, um, you know, just a major lapse of, of confidence. And I just I had eating disorders and I went through all sorts of, you know, personal um, turmoil during that time. And it took a lot to pull myself out of that. But those are some of the lessons that have led me to where I am now. You know, I learned through yoga that I had to sort of reconnect to myself, my sense of self. So I had to develop self-awareness all over again. Yoga really helped me. And running. I consider running yoga. To me, it's, it's meditation in motion. And so when I say yoga, it encompasses a lot of other 
of modalities, not just asana. Um, and then creativity, I got back to writing again. I'd always loved to write when I was a young girl through my teenage years, and I'd kind of given it up. And I got back into writing and realized that passion for expression, like, oh, I can express myself again. This feels really good. This is amazing. And I ended up doing an outward bound, and I felt really empowered. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here is what... I was missing during those teenage years where I was growing up. It was this self-awareness, self-expression, and self-empowerment. I'd lost those three things. And after I became a mom and I had a daughter, it hit me like a ton of bricks that I wanted to make sure she never lost those three qualities. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I could provide some tools for that, not only to her, but to you know, as many other young women as I could reach. And so I started creating curriculum and programs, kind of definitely based all around my experience. You know, I was like, what did I go through as a teenager? You know, where did I not have the tools to get me through that time in my life? And then how did I cultivate those tools? And how could I share them with other young women? And that's where World Muse came from. Yeah, that's really powerful work. I'd like to return back to the idea of tools and having a toolbox. Mm -hmm. And where did you find your tools? It sounds like, you know, some of the tools were yoga, were mm -hmm. self-awareness, but did you find them in other people? Did you really find them on your own? Like, how did you even come to your tools? You know, I, I firmly believe that deep down, we all know what it is that we need. Um, I was just in this amazing workshop with a yoga master, Brian Caston. He said, I'm not your yoga instructor. I'm not your yoga teacher. I'm your instructor. I can lead you through some postures, and hopefully this will quiet your mind. But the teacher is inside of you. And that really resonated because I think I had those tools. I think we all have those tools. We just need someone to help us discover them. Like, what is it? that you love that will help you express yourself. Like I always knew it was writing. I just sort of had gotten lost somehow. And that's a lot of what we do with our programs. We, we try to help women and girls figure out what is it in you that's already in there that you need to cultivate to help, to help become your tool for expressing yourself and for feeling empowered out in the world. Um, I'm trying to think back. Like it was, I feel like, you know, I came to each of those in these roundabout ways, though, like the rediscovery part. You know, I stumbled into a yoga class in college because I think it was maybe the only elective that was still open because this was so crazy long ago that yoga was actually not cool. You know, nobody took yoga when I was in college. You know, it was, um, was it Lilius Yoga and Me was like the only like yoga celebrity. She was on like the public t television station. So I took this yoga class, and it was the first time in a long time, or maybe ever, that I quieted down my mind, and I just was able to relax and, and really sit with what um, was going on inside me and to, to be connected to my body again, because I was really in the throes of my eating disorder at that time. And I think it just um, it resonated on such a deep level. Like, I need this. I didn't even realize, you know, we don't realize how much we need it, right, until we usually find it. But I really needed it, and from that time on, I started seeking out different teachers, and I was fortunate, you know, to live in Santa Fe, and there were so many amazing yoga teachers there. 
And, um, and that's been an important part of my path is to keep finding those teachers. Sean Korn has been an incredible mentor and, and now friend and, you know, with not only with yoga, but through my activism work. So it's, and then with writing, it's the same thing. You know, it was already in there. I, I knew I needed to express myself, but I sort of stopped and just quit and put that, you know, on the back burner out of fear that I wasn't any good or what I had to say wasn't important. And when I started writing again, um, I realized that it was it was in me and I just needed to cultivate it and I needed to find mentors and they they kind of show up when you start opening up and and putting it out there the mentors if you keep your eyes open they show up you know right now I'm just feel so blessed that I have you know Marianne Elliott and just all these incredible women who keep showing up as mentors for for the writing or the yoga or the activism it's so cool that even as a um, as an, a woman, as a mother, you still feel, you know, that there are people who are mentoring you. It's like the process of learning yeah. never ends. Never ends. And I love people who describe themselves as students of life. Mm -hmm. And I can feel that, you you know, you still really yeah. feel that spark. It's so funny. I always, I, I get so, um, I, I don't know, the term grown up. You know, to be a grown-up, it always makes me laugh to think of myself as a grown-up. And then it makes me a little annoyed because grown-up sounds so final, right? Like, I'm grown-up. I've stopped growing. I'm grown. You know, and I don't ever want to be, like, grown, fully grown. Like, I think the whole purpose of life is to keep growing. I want to grow through life. And so I'm still growing up. I'm not really a grown-up. You know, I feel like I still have so many lessons to learn, and I hope I'll always be um, learning lessons. I don't ever want to feel like I've, I've got this because what's the fun in that? You know, totally. it's like, I want to keep learning. And I, so I keep seeking out, you know, experiences and people who have something to teach me. And, and it's interesting. I, there just this morning I was out for coffee and someone said, um, you know, we're talking about public speaking. And I said, yeah, I have this real fear around public speaking. And they said, well, you do it all the time. And I'm like, I know. That's why I do it all the time, because it's my fear. So I know it's the thing that I need to be doing. That's where my growth is. If it was really easy, it might not be as much of a growth opportunity for me. Like, I know I want to, because my writing is one thing, but to be able to speak it is so empowering. And so I don't want that experience. I have to just get beyond that fear. I love that. I love that. There's mm -hmm. a, um, a mantra from the company Lululemon that says, do one thing a day that scares you. But mm -hmm. I think you're taking it to the next level, actually. You're saying, you know, this is my weak point. This is my yeah. fear point. I'm going to do this yeah. as a part of my profession. Yeah. If you turn away from it, then it, it wins. You know what I mean? It controls you. But if you, if you turn into it and move through it, then it just empowers you that much more. I mean, and I always, interesting, it was interesting, I worked with this group of young girls, and it was one of the early teen groups that I worked with. And we had, that quote came up, and we were talking about, you know, what they could each do that would, um, that they were afraid of, but they knew would expand them also. There'd be a growth opportunity. And, and we were making commitments, or they were making their commitments on their, what they would take on as their challenge. And like what I'm said, look, I always know the answer in French class, but I'm too embarrassed to raise my hand because I don't want to be seen as a know-it-all or any of that. Goes, I'm going to raise my hand all this week whenever I know the answer. And another one um, you know, was sort of a tomboy, and she's like, I really want to wear a dress to school, but I'm scared that people will look at me funny because it will be so out of what they think is my, you know, out of character for me. So I'm going to wear a dress to school and just, you know, 
not worry about it. And they each had something that they were going to do. One was going to try out for the school play, all this stuff. And they came back and they reported on it the next week and it was great. You know, they had all these great, like this felt really great or this felt a little uncomfortable, but I'm glad I tried it. And then they kind of looked at me and they were like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I love it when that happens, When right? they turn it right back. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really think about it. And they were like, well, what are you afraid of? And I knew, I knew what it was. I was like, you know, I just saw this. I saw this call for submissions for Ignite Bend, which is a speakers program they have in the Tower Theater. And I said, there's part of me that really wants to to submit and see if I can you know, get on stage and give my talk, but then there's a part of me that's terrified that I'll get chosen. And of course, I have these like 10 middle school girls looking at me like, well, you know, and so of course I submitted and I got chosen and I got on that stage and, um, and some of them came to hear me talk, which was incredible. And afterwards, we were um, talking about it, and they said, how did it feel? And I said, you know, it felt awful. I was so nervous. I said, but it also felt awesome. Like, I knew I was doing what I needed to be doing, and I was pushing through that fear, and at the end of it, it felt so empowering. It felt so good, you know? And So what's the fear, though? Let's, I want to, like, dive in. Like, what are you afraid of in the public speaking? Is it yourself? Is it judgment of other people? Like... I think it's that really deep-seated belief that so many of us women um, hold is that I'm not good enough. You know, yes. the, when you get right I'm down to it, I'm not enough. What I have to say isn't really that important. I'm not, you know, whatever it is when you're on the stage, I'm not funny enough, engaging enough, interesting enough, pretty enough. What You know, just all of that kind of gets, you know, lobbed on and... And it's, it's hard to get past that, you know, and it's hard when you feel like, as a young woman, what you had to say wasn't necessarily valued, and then to be like, okay, here I am now. How do I believe really deep, deep down in that, you know, inner part of my little girl self that what I have to say has value now? Like, how do I switch that belief? And it's, I mean, it's part of, it's, it's obviously the work that I do is to help other women, including myself, you know, switch those beliefs, those deep-seated beliefs. Well, so often it's said that the healing work we do as healers is really just a way of healing ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We teach what we need to learn, right? Exactly. And it's, um, and it's good to remember that because I have a lot of people who will come up and like be surprised that I have you know, fear of public speaking or say, everything just seems so awesome. All of your ideas just seem to like take off. And I always say, no, like you just see the ideas that take off. I have lots of ideas that totally you know, fall to pieces on the cutting room floor. And I have so many moments of self-doubt and I'm, I am terrified when I get in front of you know, an audience, but I'm also really excited because I know I can move through that fear. you know. And with the idea of women in our culture in this world feeling like they're not enough, I mean, even living in Ethiopia this past fall and living with a group of young women, they too felt that that sense of I'm not mm-hmm. enough. And in a way, sometimes we think it's just a first world problem. Like it's only in you know the States where there's so much privilege we have this, but it's really epidemic. And I'd love to hear your take on why is it like that women feel this sense of like not worthiness or enoughness? Is this something we're born with? Is this our birthright? Or is this something society puts onto us? I 
don't think it's necessarily a birthright, although I do think that we have stories. I know you're a lover of stories, right? I think we, we inherit stories. We inherit stories from just from our family, our family of origin. We inherit some of those stories, and some, I believe, they're not even ones that are specifically told to us, but they're ones that we're still made aware of, like just certain stories about our upbringing, about our background, about our ancestors. And likewise, if you spread that out a little further, I think we inherit cultural stories. And those can be as widespread as, you know, regional, or I think we have a global story and we, that we've inherited that women are not enough, that they're not seen as important. And you look around the world at all the issues with inequality when it comes to women. You look at the amazing work that was done with Half the Sky to bring that really to the forefront for many of us. Um, Nicholas Kristof has done such an amazing job of shining a light on that. It's, it is widespread. It's, it's a story that women and girls are not valued as much as boys, and it's, it's hard to go back and trace the origin of that story. You know, different people have different ideas about when we became more patriarchal, and a lot of it is tied to when we became, a lot of the religions became monotheistic and, you know, and very patriarchal. And who knows where it began, but it's, it goes back so far. So much farther than we even yeah. can conceptualize. I, that's you know, my take on it. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. totally in alignment with mm -hmm. your take. And you're a mother of mm -hmm. three kids, a girl and two sons who are in high school. How do you teach your sons to be young men with an awareness of, of respect to women, respect to men, respect to human beings? I mean, yeah, it's, um, you know, I guess the simple answer is, is by example, by the way I live my life and the way that they see my husband, their father supporting me in my work and the fact that you know, they show up for my women's conference every year and they'll be one of like, you know, there are usually five men in the audience. One's my husband, two are my sons, and then there may be like, you know, a couple other guys. And they got, they got, a couple other husbands. Yeah, got they got dragged there. there. And like, I want that to change. I do want, um, I want women's equality to be something that our whole community embraces and wants to support and celebrate, not just women, cheerleading women, but our whole community saying this is important for us to be a stronger community. All of us need to be lifted up. Women's equality is human equality. Exactly, exactly. And it's so great to see my boys sit in that audience and at the end they have they have their favorite speakers, they learn something, like they're really engaged. They're not, they come for me but they leave with something for themselves. And I have a, a senior, one of my oldest son is a senior, and he just wrote, started writing his college essays. And he came to me and he said, I wanna read my essay to you. And it was all about the fact that he's grown up with a mother who's a women's activist and how he has a whole different take on life than many young men because he's grown up around all these really empowered, inspired women. And he said, you know, our house just feels like a hub of all this energy and I, I feel it and I've taken it on and it makes me more aware and considerate of these issues that I might not necessarily think of. So, you know, I don't know that um, they get it right all the time. No one gets it right all the time. But, I don't right, get it right but, all the time. But we hope, we hope that that's the, that slow um, shift in the story of what, what we're passing down, right? I love Marianne Williamson gave a talk that I was listening to the other day about how 
we stand in this ribbon of time. And she said, we, we get these stories handed down from our ancestors. And normally we just, without even thought, we pass them right on down to our children or just to our community or the next generation. But once we become conscious and become more aware, we realize we need to actually become a sift. And we need to sift those stories and go, okay, this was wonderful. I'm going to pass this part on. But I'm, I'm going to lovingly put this part on the bank and not let it, like, trickle down. And I think that's um, hopefully what I'm doing is, is trying to pass down to my kids the really wonderful things that I learned from my parents and from my, you know, the, the stories that I've been handed down and leaving behind some of that other stuff, you know, that women aren't valued, that we shouldn't be speaking up and what we have to say isn't important. And the work with the SIFT is very paramount to the work you do with World Muse. Mm -hmm. When was the seed planted for World Muse? When did that idea even come to you? It's so, it's another one of those where I think um, it's hard to pinpoint because I think for a long time you can be, the universe can be pointing you toward a dream and you're not really aware that you're being pointed in certain directions. But I was working at Outside Magazine and then I started on the side teaching creative writing at the Youth Detention Center in Santa Fe. And I loved that. Like, I just realized, like, oh my gosh, I love working with youth and using creativity, creative writing to help them express themselves. This, is, this makes me come alive. Um, and so I left the magazine. I started doing a lot of service work in Santa Fe, working with nonprofits that worked with women and youth. And I loved that. And on the side, I was always a yogi, and that was always kind of separate. You know, I had my yoga practice, and I had my sort of social activism. And then we moved to Bend, and um, I was taking time off because I just had my little girl, and I was actually doing a teacher training, a yoga teacher training. And they asked the question, like, why are you here? It was the first day of, of yoga teacher training. They go around the circle, why are you here? And I'm like you know, oh gosh, I didn't really thought about it. I just needed to get out of the house and I wanted to deepen my practice. I don't know if I really want to be a yoga teacher. I don't really know why I'm here. But by the time it got around to my turn, the circle, I said, well, I want to create a program for young girls that uses yoga. And it's one of those, I, it, I knew it was there, but I didn't really know um, I was going to let it out. You know, sometimes we have those dreams that we kind of keep in the closet and we're scared to let them out. And then before we know it, or this happens to me a lot, I just voice it, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and so I did that teacher training, and through that, I, um, my project was I had to create a curriculum utilizing yoga and creative writing for teen girls, and I created it, and I piloted it here at a couple of schools, and it was very well received, and we added in after-school programs and summer camps, and then I had another one of those aha moments um, which basically came from listening to the moms when they would come pick up their daughters from the after-school program. And I had just been working with the girls on positive self-image and you know, all this sort of wonderful stuff. And the moms would come in and I'd hear them say like, oh God, don't look at me, I look awful today. Or, or you look so cute, God, I feel so fat. And you know, just all that, that negative self-talk that they've been programmed you know, to mimic. Well, and it's gonna go right through the sift. Right, and I'm like, oh no, you know, this is like, this is totally not going to work. We've got to, it's got to be multi-generational, this work. The, the shift or the sift that we want to, you know, create has got to be multi-generational. I mean, these young girls need mentors, just like I do, right? They need mentors, and so we need to be working with women of all ages so that we can 
you know, sort of help each other create the shift and, and change the conversation. And so we started adding in women's programs and kind of the same format. We do mindfulness, you know, self-awareness and self-expression and then do some self-worth work through the activism and, and service part. And it's taken off. I mean, we are, we're ready for this, I feel like, you know, and we all, like I said, we all have those tools inside us, but we need help taking the time to remember what our tools are and what our special gifts are and what makes us come alive, however you want to define it, um, and then finding the ways to share that out in the world. And the connection and the community that World Muse is fostering, I mean, I saw some pictures of the camp you had this summer, and I was definitely getting, wishing I was there. It looked incredible. But I think the community and speaking these truths and speaking Mm -hmm. our fears Mm -hmm. is so liberating. And that's one of the biggest tools we have is just honest conversation. Yeah. Just showing up and speaking up is so powerful. And I, we start every, um, we've done this retreat now, this summer camp for women and girls for five years. And we have this ceremony at the beginning of camp every year. And everyone has to stand up and one by one state their intention for being at camp. And it's so powerful because it sounds so simple, but it can be really terrifying for a lot of people. But to see women from the youngest will be like, you know, age 12 up to, you know, women in their 60s and 70s. We have grandmothers who come. We have like three generations of women who've come, you know, like a daughter with her mother and then the grandmother. So amazing. And to see all of them get on that stage and walk across and state their intention, it's really powerful. And it's like we have to show up and we have, we really do need to be heard. Not all of us have to be public speakers, and but we need to be heard. Yes. You know, that's such an important... And with being heard, it also means we need to learn how to listen. I think that's something that I've noticed in our culture is we actually have a hard time listening compassionately, listening without ego, listening without preparing our next statement. <laughs> I think we are... We're a culture of distraction, right? We're so easily distracted. So if someone's speaking, and we are, we're already thinking, what's next? What am I going to say next? How, you know, how do I respond? Or how are they going to think about me in this moment? (laughs) Is her comment better than mine? Or, you know, all that stuff that goes on. It's really, it goes back to yoga, right? It's really hard for us to just stay in the present moment, which listening is all about. How do you stay in the present moment for somebody and be open compassionately and without ego, without thinking, because ego and all that, that's looking ahead or looking back, right? It's really not being in the present. It's like, how am I going to be better than them in the future? Or, you know, how did I, it's just, it's all that funny stuff. It's not about being present. Yeah. Can you take me to a moment, um, to this most recent camp you led this summer, where you listened to something that was really transformative for you? Gosh, we um, I went. We always have a variety of workshops, and they they're based around mindfulness, creativity, and activism. And I went to um, a creative writing workshop with Marianne Elliott, who is just phenomenal. She was a UN aid worker in Afghanistan. She's a yoga teacher. She's written a book called Zen Under Fire, um, and she does a lot of work with using yoga um, to work with activists and people who have experienced trauma but she does these amazing creative writing workshops and she led us through this workshop in two hours where people were writing from this very real and raw place it was just she facilitated it so beautifully that we started out 
creating almost like to-do lists. Like, what are the 10 things you want to write about? And you kind of make these like lists, lists, lists. And then she so effectively led us into these more probing questions. And they finally got us to this point that we were writing about you know, the thing that we thought we would never write about. And a few brave women stood up and shared. And it was incredibly transformative to listen to both of their stories. And they were both very personal, very raw. But the me too's that came from hearing them, like so many women were like, wow, me too. Like, I wouldn't have maybe admitted, you know, one woman spoke about like her judgment of others, like, and she was very open, like, yeah, I judge you, I judge people, I judge people on how they look, on how they dress, you know, I, and she, and it was, but so many women were like, wow, I, I silently do that too, and it was that me too moment that was so transformative, and another woman wrote about, um, you know, overcoming, not overcoming, but going through sobriety, and what that did with her relationships, and it was just the most beautiful um, experience to be able to listen wholeheartedly to what they shared wholeheartedly. You know, if we could all be that in that space more often, I think there would be some major shifts. I totally agree. And those moments are moments of muse of inspiration. What was the story behind the name muse? You know, I... I feel like we are each here to inspire each other and that part of finding what it is that makes you come alive in the world is figuring out what you want to inspire in the world. And so Muse to me is, um, it, it embodies that, you know, it's, it's you, each one of us is the Muse. We figure out what we want to inspire in the world and then there's also the flip side of, of to muse is to really to ponder something deeply and to be con you know contemplative and so to really think deeply about what it is you want to inspire in the world is what muse is all about i love that it has so many different mm -hmm. sides to it light and darkness mm -hmm. you mentioned about you mentioned earlier about the term activist and activism and that's a pretty weighty term. And I think in our society, there is stigmatism around mm -hmm. being a women's right act, rights activist. But then you've said, I've heard you say, I'm a women's activist. Do you see those as two separate things, women's rights activists versus women's activists? I, you know, I do. Th it's interesting because I think there's so many different yeah, connotations that can come from the different, the different terms. And I think as a women's activist, I think yes, women's rights are one big piece of what I want to advocate for, but I just advocate and want to champion women and girls just in general. Um, equality is something that obviously is near and dear to my heart, and it's a big part of the work I do, but it's also about personal transformation. Is a lot of, you know, about what I do, and I think that comes first, and then some of this other, you know, bigger stuff comes. I think all real change comes from within, and so I'm feel like I'm more of a, an advocate for women figuring out their own personal change so that they can then go out and create and the change in their communities and out in the world. And so that's where I see a little bit of a, a difference for me. Yeah, I was reading a blog post you read um, on Muse Magazine, and you were talking about the idea of one piece at a time, P-E-A-C-E. -E. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that really gets at the ethos behind what you're speaking to. Yeah, I think when we look at any of these issues, and I, I tend to do this as much as anybody, I get so overwhelmed. 
And nothing comes from that place of overwhelm. You know, when I see what's happening with the refugee crisis, I, I kind of shut down. You know, I get overwhelmed and I completely shut down. Like, how can I make a difference? How does anything I do matter? I'm so small. My work is so small. It's not enough. It goes back to that. It's not enough. It's not enough. Yes. And nothing comes from that place, you know. So if we can kind of flip that around and go, okay, well, what if I do my part, this piece, and then everyone else is doing their piece, like, that's when we start to really create the change. No, I can't solve the refugee crisis, but if I can do my piece to empower leaders here who might you know, connect with other leaders and then we can you know, come together and, and, and... Create this global fabric of change. Yeah, and that's what really excites me. And it's, it's also, it takes the burden off of just a few people. You know, I think at that same blog post I wrote about... Um, you know, not putting people on pedestals as heroes, you know, realizing that they're not extraordinary people who go out and do these things. They're very ordinary people, just like you and me. They do extraordinary things, you know, and that if each one of us figures out what, what it is that we can do, you know, that's when it, you know, we all lift each other up instead of putting just one person up on the pedestal. Like we can all, we can all lift each other up and do our part. Yeah, it's a very much a collective mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Where do you see World Muse fitting in with the idea of like a men's muse program? You know, I mean, I feel like the kind of work you do, everyone really needs to be empowered yeah. at the end of the day to I, speak their truth, to find their inspiration. Right. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people ask that. Well, what about, you know, the boys and the men? And it's um, it's not sort of either or, it's that at this point in our history, women and girls have been left behind. And so how do we get up to a level playing field of, of realizing that we have gifts, that we have a voice, that we you know have power, that we have leadership skills and all that so that we can all um, you know, be on a level playing field. And then I also think it is important to recognize that I think there are some differences in, in when you work with a group of women and girls um, separately from men and boys, I think there are wonderful opportunities for both. And we want to create some opportunities for both. And that's the conference ideally will bring together a whole community so that men and boys are a part of this work as well. But there is something really magical that happens when you just have women and girls um, alone together. And there's a sharing and there's a support and there's a community that, that gets created that might not be created otherwise. I can mm -hmm. totally agree with that. In college, I was in an all-female acapella group, and I was actually kind of nervous at the beginning because I'd never really been in an all-girls situation. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of guy friends in college, but it was one of the most empowering experiences I've ever had. Because yeah, we got to sing together, we got to create music, but all the downtime we shared together, just sharing hearts, sharing souls, was so intense. Yeah. And amazing. We need that. And, and likewise, I and think... And guys need that too. Men need their... Yeah. They need that ritual time, you know, whatever that means. And I think that's what's so important about bringing women and girls together and creating some rituals around that, mm. you know, circles where we actually share and we listen and we, you know, we do these... Um, we create some special moments that help us realize the transformational work that you know, we're going through as we go through life, as we keep growing through life, you know. Yeah. And with this transformational work, another element you've touched upon already is 
the intersection between yoga and service and Sean Korn, who's a mentor and friend of yours. How did you get involved with Off the Mat? So it's another one of those, I mean, I, I just kind of, you know, fell into it. I had been to, I traveled to Tanzania with my parents and my two boys and loved the experience. It was amazing, you know, but we were, we were definitely there as, as tourists. And I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted to go back and be more um, a part of the community, like really know what was going on, really connecting with people, not just seeing it from, you know, inside the, you know, the, the tour, um, the tour bus. And, and so I started looking around for opportunities to go back and, and work on the ground. And I picked up a copy of, I think it was Yoga International actually. And they had an art and Sean was on the front. I didn't even know who she was. I mean, I may be one of the only yogis. Like I said, this was kind of right at the like boom of yoga, like right when it took off. Um, and I read this article about her, and they were off the mat into the world, had just done their first seva trip, their first service humanitarian trip to um, Cambodia. And they were planning their next one, which was to Uganda. And I just had one of those light bulb moments or ahas or, you know, whatever you want to say. But, but my heart skipped a beat and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go with this organization. They're yogis or, you know, so I'm going to have this connection with them. And just everything about the program and about Sean resonated with me. But I was terrified to tell my husband. I slept with the article under my pillow for several nights. <laughs> I don't even know how long. I mean, I, I meditated on it. I like asked the universe, like, how in the world am I going to make this happen? I know I'm supposed to do this, but this, we had three small children, and I'd, you know, it just didn't seem like it was going to fit. But I finally pitched it to my husband, and I guess he just saw, like, in the way I spoke about it, he knew that this was that important. And so I went, and it really did change um, everything for me because – off the mat into the world, they were that missing piece that I needed, that piece that made me go, oh, wow, like, I love service, I love yoga. When you combine those two together, it takes it to a whole nother level because conscious activism is so much more powerful than just activism. I mean, when we really, you know, are consciously coming from a place of um, self-awareness, and wanting to create personal change before we start, you know, creating change outwardly or as we're creating change outwardly. It's just a whole different experience. And so that's a lot of um, my work has been with Off the Mat into the world, doing a lot of training with them and, um, and then going on to mentor other leaders that come up through Off the Mat, which has been really fun. And have you been able to return to Africa with them? No, I led a trip the next year. Um, and which was amazing and got to go back and work with a lot of the same organizations. And I had this idea we were going to do a trip every year. But reality, that was one of those ideas that, you know, was, was bigger than my capacity to fulfill it and realized that it was just going to be too much on my family to be doing this every year. Um, and also it was a lot to take on for World Muse. If that had been just our focus Maybe I could do it, but I was feeling spread too thin. So I haven't done a trip back now in, I think, five, four or five years. But I think at some point we'll add in trips again because I do think it's so um, amazing to take women 
into a different culture and to see the um, the connections that can be made, just to con- connect yes. communities on a global scale, even more so than the donations that we take over or some of the, I think what's most important is the connections that are made and to show like we support you and you support us. Like we're all in this together and it creates this global community that I just really um, am inspired you know, to be a part of. I, yeah, I'm so with you on that. From my time in Ethiopia, the girls didn't speak any English that I worked with, nor did I speak much Amharic. And a lot of people have asked me, like, well, you know, how did you get to know them? And you get to know people, (laughs) you know, just through body language, through laughter, through crying, through sharing space. Yeah. And and through dance and through music, right? Which is so beautiful to see traveling around Uganda and, and just the way, and it was always the women, the women would come together in these circles and start dancing and, you know, drumming and we'd all start moving. And that's how we, that's how they created the bond with us. Whenever we'd show up, you know, in a village or, you know, with an organization, it would always, um, you know, began with dance and music. And we don't have a lot of that in our culture. And so I think it's so important to, that's why I say like creating rituals. And so I was like, how do we create some of that where we actually come back and we move together and we breathe together and we like connect on that level that is very, um, you know, it's just deep inside us. It's at our core, but we've kind of like, we've covered it up, you know, (laughs) we've covered it up really well in our, in our society, I think. And rituals are something that is really special to share with other people, but there's also the intimate daily rituals that we all have. Mm-hmm. What are some daily rituals a part of your life that really ground you? I, um, you know, it's great because that you asked that because over the summer I kind of lost touch with some of my daily rituals, and I always feel it. It happens a lot. You know, summer gets busy, and we're here and there, and we travel a lot and have a lot going on. And I have to admit that I do sometimes let some of my personal rituals fall to the wayside. And we just started this program called 21 Days of Inner Awesome. And it's great because I'm leading it and I'm also taking it because I need it. You know, I'm teaching what I need to learn, right? So I'm reconnecting with all of my daily rituals, which is so wonderful. I, um, I personally, I get up around 5 or 5.30 every morning before the family and the dogs, my husband get up. And it's my sacred time, and I need it. It's what grounds me. I'm a totally different person when I have my, you know, hour, hour and a half where I, you know, I make my pot of tea, I light my candles, I do my meditation, and then I do some journaling. And I try to do all of that before I start answering emails and getting into that mindset because it's such a different mindset. And if I'm successful and I can get through my morning ritual, it's just, I start my day with so much more intention and so much more calm and so much more self-awareness and that trickles out into the rest of my day. Um, I generally try to either do practice yoga or go for a run, which again is in my mind another form of yoga. Both of those really ground me. I tend to be, I have a Jack Russell Terrier and I tend to, I think, share the same energy I get really excited about all the projects and all the things I'm working on, and I can just, you know, sort of feed off of that energy. It's and very Pitta energy. It is. I got a whole lot of Vata going on in here. I'm Pitta like, Vata. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I need grounding, and so I have to find those personal rituals that really ground me 
and remember to do them or I get I can get really spun out it's hard though to slow down I mean I'm when you love what you do it's so hard not to do it all the time yeah yeah to slow down how do you feel like you balance your work as a mother work as an activist with your organization you know it's hard and I don't think I do it a hundred percent um you know, every every day is different, and but I I'm always working on it. You know, it's always a work in progress. It's often I'll start to say something like I don't have time, or you know, that I'm working on this. This is really important. And then I see my daughter turn around and walk away, and I think, oh my gosh, that's really important too. You know, and I say, wait a minute, I can take a break. You know, what do we need to talk about, or what you know, what, what's on your mind? And, and so it's always, and likewise, it's important for my children to see that what I do is important and that I take that time and that, you know, they're always going to be my number one priority, but that doesn't mean that my work isn't also a priority. And it's finding that balance of not not going too far in either one direction where I'm saying, oh, my work isn't good enough, so of course I can put it, you know, all aside and, and knowing that my kids always come first. You know, I'm always going to be at the volleyball game before I'm going to meet a deadline, you know. And they're blessed to have that. Yeah. yeah, they're blessed to have you show up for them in that way. And you were speaking to earlier how your sons learn about this just through example. And having yeah. a mom who's a living embodiment of that is pretty special. I, you know, I hope so. I hope that's part of, you know, the, the inheritance that I pass down to them. And the story that I hand, hand down to them is that women... Um, have a voice and that this work is really important you know supporting women and inspiring women to create positive changes is, is really important work and you know I'm, I'm hoping that you know that that ripples out into their lives yeah what what are you looking forward to with world muse like what's what's exciting you right now what projects are Again, it's hard. Like I said, I'm like my Jack Russell. Like I'll be like running down the trail, going hard on you know Muse conference, and then like, woo, there's another project that's really exciting. I'm gonna look over there. Um, I love, I love all the aspects of World Muse. It's been, I think it's been about seven years now. Um, so a lot of those programs I've been working on, developing, you know, for quite some time. There's one project that's more my pet project. Um, it's Muse Magazine, and it's what I'm just totally doing kind of on my own. And I mean, it's definitely a compliment, World Muse and everything that World Muse does, but it's not under the umbrella of, of the nonprofit. It's just my little side venture. And that excites me to no end. And it's all about telling stories. You know, I realized that through the work with World Muse, I had access to all these amazing women. And I was you know, kind of gathering all these incredible stories and, and connections. And I didn't really have anywhere that I was funneling them. You know, I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I have all this content and I don't really have anywhere to put it. The World Muse website just doesn't, isn't the right place for it. And it felt like maybe a baby step back towards my background in journalism. And so it's starting out right now as just an online um, magazine with hopes, dreams, visions of one day becoming a, a quarterly print magazine and becoming really a, a platform for women to share their stories and to connect and hopefully adding in more interactive elements. And we have a new teen editor that starts next month that I'm really excited about to share more teen stories um, because I want them to know f 
from the get-go that their voice matters and their stories are important to be told. So that's really exciting. Yeah, it's making me excited. <laughs> and with 21 Days of Inner Awesome that you're going through right now, there's a lot of different kind of daily rituals you're calling people to step into. For the listeners out there, men, women, everyone, what would be a writing exercise you would challenge my listeners to take on? Oh my goodness. Okay, so here's one of the writing exercises that'll be you know, coming up down the road in 21 Days of Inner Awesome. But we, every day we lead them through personal inquiries um, and looking at you know, what part of your story um, do you want to keep? What part of your story isn't working? You know, who's supporting you? What practices, habits, and people are supporting you in creating this change? Which ones are, aren't? You know, who, who do you need to call up? What practices and habits do you need to cultivate? So it's a lot of this like looking um, at, at what you have and what you need to cultivate. But there's also a question that I want to ask um, that was asked of me by Marianne Elliott, and it's what part of your story are you not sharing? Have you been afraid to share up until this point? You know, because a lot of, especially with this 21 days, there'll be something like, okay, I'm giving up coffee and I'm doing this and this is all great. And I'm, but there's, there's always that one piece that's like, I don't want to let go of that relationship because I'm, you know, even though I know it's toxic, I don't want to get rid of it quite yet, you know, but I'm not going to put that in my 21 days of awesome, inner awesome. But Hopefully, over the course of this um, program, we'll get people to the point where they can actually look at that and say, here's the part of my story that I've, I've been holding back. You know, Here's the, the change that I kind of know I need to make, but I, I'm, I'm scared. Can what? you speak to what that is for you? <laughs> um, you know, a lot of it is just stepping into my, my power stepping into a leadership role more fully, believing more in, in who I am and what I'm doing, because that's a big piece for me. You know, I'm constantly um, promoting other women. And a lot of people have called me out on that recently. They're like, you're always promoting other women. Like, you sometimes you've got to step into it. You've got to recognize yourself as a leader. You know, you're not just someone who promotes other women as leaders you are a leader, and it, that's a really hard one sometimes for me to, um, to look at and to look at where that comes from and to untangle that, that web that I carry around. You know, where does that come from? So what would you say is an actionable step you can do in your life to help yourself kind of step into that place of really owning and celebrating yourself as the leader? You know, I always think it's important to look like we, we've been talking about, looking back at our, our stories and looking at where certain things come from so that you can understand it with that awareness piece and then move forward. And one of the things, I guess this is another one of those stories that I'm afraid to to tell and I've started to tell it, but, you know, I've always wanted to write a book because I've always seen myself as a writer. And, um, but I've always been too scared. I've started several times. And so recently I've started putting it out there again and the project I really want to work on is understanding the stories that we inherit and it'll be um, part memoir part self you know help creative journaling uh, book so I'm excited about that and that's um, I think that's where I am in the process it's looking back and going where did I where did I inherit this from 
And how do I unravel that, sift it, and say, here's what I want to take forward so that I can really believe in myself as a leader and let go of some of that other stuff? Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm really excited to watch the evolution of this book and this journey. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real honor to talk with you today. Is there anything you want to share or close with? Wow, this has been so fun. I... um I love what you're doing. I love storytelling. I just think it's so important. There was um, a quote that I heard recently that, you know, all social change begins with a shift in the stories that we tell. And so I really do think that storytelling and, and sharing our stories is a powerful form of activism, of creating the shift and so thank you for what you're doing and you know, I hope we can both continue to, to share stories. Yeah, thank you. Do you feel inspired to start asking yourself the tough questions? What's standing in the way of you discovering your inner muse? My conversation with Amanda brought up a lot of questions for me about how I live my life as a strong, honest, and ever-growing human being. I definitely recommend checking out theworldmuse.org, where you can learn more about the incredible women's conference they're hosting for March 4th through 6, 2016 in Bend, Oregon. And as Amanda shared, it's a transformative three days that's for all people, not just women. And if you want to read more powerful stories by women who are connected to their muse and speaking their truths, check out the online publication, Muse Magazine, that Amanda is the editor of. Before I sign off for the week, two important things to share. First, if you want to win a free swag bag of Nutso, the only seven nut and seed butter on the planet, all you have to do is leave Running on Ohm a review on the iTunes store, send a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com or tweet it to at runningonohm. The giveaway ends October 31st and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by November 2nd. Now my second ask of you is that you share this podcast with one person. Maybe you tell your running buddy, your friend, your barista, your mailman, your dog, your cat, who knows? I'm committed to publishing two podcasts a week, and in order to keep this up, I need your help in spreading the word about Rue. Whether it be a tweet, Instagram comment, Facebook post, or email, reach out to me. Let me know you tuned in and share this conversation with just one person who's ready to dig in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hamlin, and I hope you have a Rue-filled day. <laughs>